Hello and welcome to the Royals Investment Fund Podcast, where we meet with professors, experts, and professionals in the business and investing world. We are here to bring you insight into these success stories of individuals through their careers, investment choices, and recommendations. This podcast was specifically designed to help business students as they start their journey into the business world. I'm your host, Tony Harris. Now let's get started. Before I introduce today's guest, I would like to give you a fair warning that we are still recording from home, so our sound quality is not quite as good as it could be, and our Wi-Fi is a little bit spotty here and there. So I ask that you please forgive us in the meantime, but hopefully we'll be back in the studio soon. Thank you. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Tom O'Brien. Tom graduated from Yale University in 1990, where he received a degree in history. While attending Yale, Tom also played outside linebacker for Yale's football team. After college, Tom went on to work in a variety of roles in the commercial real estate industry and is currently an executive director at Cushman and Wakefield. Here, Tom is part of the Capital Markets Group. His team markets commercial investment real estate assets such as office, industrial, retail, and multifamily buildings throughout the Midwest region. Now, without further ado, I would like to welcome Tom to the show. Tom, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I, I really appreciate you being here. Appreciate the opportunity. This will be great. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about your personal background and what made you decide to get into the commercial real estate industry? And kind of along with that, what has your career path looked like since you've entered the commercial real estate industry? Sure. Well, I... Um... I always looked up to my dad and my dad was a, was a salesman and uh, he worked for IBM and Kodak. And so I wasn't really sure what I was going to do um, when I got into the working world, but, um, but I, I just, I held him in such high esteem that I thought at some point I was going to be in some form of sales. And uh, so I, you know, the truth of the matter is I, I kind of lucked into commercial real estate. I, um, I had a job with an insurance company right out of college, which was great as a first job. I, I, think, I think just about any first job is going to be valuable, whether you stay in that industry or not, because you know, the, it's a, obviously a big world out there. And a lot of times it's, it's trying to eliminate things you don't want to do. And I um, pretty quickly was able to eliminate that first job. That was, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a boring existence, but it did point me to a couple of things. One, I was working in Connecticut. Um, I wanted to get back to Minnesota where my family was and where, where my roots are. So a um, good friend of my dad's was in commercial real estate. I was talking to whoever I could uh, at the time. This was in the early 1990s and um the job market was tight, but I got, I got an interview with a company called Trammell Crow, which was a developer and service provider in the commercial real estate field and, and uh, eventually got a position with Trammell Crow and, and got to move back to Minnesota and got my foot in the door in commercial real estate. So I, I started at Trammell Crow. We were doing industrial leasing at the time. Um, and to my shock, about four months into the job, they announced that they were going to close that office. 
And so I really started to wonder like, what have I done? But it was, it was fantastic because there were a number of people who uh, were Trammell Crow alums in a number of different real estate firms within the Twin Cities. And so uh, that next two months I talked to, as, as one person said, you know, anybody who would fog a mirror and um, to, to see if there was an opportunity. And uh, so that was great. I got to meet a number of people um, through that process and then uh, took a job with a company called the Shillard Group. And I was working with a fantastic mentor by the name of Tim Cashin, who was selling investment real estate. And that was my first introduction to uh, what in our industry we'll call investment sales or now often is referred to as capital markets. But basically, we're, we're selling the income stream that's produced by commercial real estate buildings. So office buildings, industrial buildings, uh, retail, et cetera. So, and Tim was a patient mentor. Uh, he really kind of talked me through, walked me through the um, understanding the different components of how to value a building, what was important. He allowed me to participate in meetings and, and um, you know, gave me an opportunity to, to fall on my face sometimes, but uh, it was a, a great opportunity. After a couple of years, Tim left to go to the principal side of the business. So that would be, he became an investor. And uh, I continued on the service side of the business um, as, a, as a commercial real estate broker on the investment sales side, um, partnered up with uh, another person by the name of Terry Kingston. And Terry and I have been partners for uh, a couple of decades now. So through the years that at that point I'm, I was really doing the same job that I'm doing today. Um, I've had probably five or six different business cards during that time as companies were acquired. Uh, we've had joint ventures. We've had, uh, you know, we had our own boutique company. Now I'm with a national global company called Cushman and Wakefield. Uh, so I've really done the same job, worked with a number of the same people, but have probably had, you know, six or seven different business cards during that time. It's a lot of experience right there. So kind of going back, um, you, you briefly mentioned valuation and, and that kind of leads into my next question. So could you, you know, in brief describe the valuation process for a commercial building? Yeah. So when, when we look at the value of a commercial building, um, we're really looking at the income stream. And so, um, that income stream is generated by, in some cases, a building is occupied by just one tenant, but oftentimes it would be a multi-tenant building. So, you know, those, most of the, the brokers in the commercial real estate realm are representing tenants or landlords. So, for example, in our, in our office, which is one of the larger Twin Cities commercial real estate offices, we have roughly 85 brokers. Of those 85 brokers, there are 10 of us that are in our capital markets group that sell investment real estate. And in that group, then there are two that focus on retail. There are two that focus on hotels. There's two that focus on um, apartments and student housing. And then there are four or five of us that focus on office buildings, industrial buildings, and medical office. And so that's the area that I focus on. So 
um, as it relates to, as people start looking at commercial real estate as an industry or as an opportunity, there, there aren't a lot of opportunities or there aren't as many slots to do what we do. And I, I know that I'm, I feel fortunate and blessed to be able to do it. When we look at the value of a commercial real estate building, we're looking at where is that income coming from? So we look into those tenants, you know, they're going to sign a lease could be anywhere from a year long lease to a 10 year lease or longer. And so in a multi-tenant building, we're going to evaluate um, when do those tenants expire because that represents potential risk. Uh, we'll look at how credit worthy those tenants are. Um, again, trying to evaluate risk and then what sort of rent are they paying and how does that relate to what a market rent should be for that product type, for that submarket, for that quality of project. And so you kind of put all that, that run out. Here's, here's the income stream that this building generates today. Uh, there are typically contractual rent increases in these leases. So over the period of time that they're in the building, normally that will, their net rent will increase annually. And so we'll build that into the model. And then we make assumptions as to what should or could happen with those tenants as those leases expire. And so from that model and from our underwriting of risk, we start to put this into a category of what, what sort of return or yield would an investor need to be attracted to this project. And so we, we you know, some of it is a gut feel where, we, you know, you look at a building and you say, well, other buildings have traded, not unlike you might see on the residential side where, you know, a, a residential broker may be able to drive through a neighborhood and say, well, you know, houses in this, area will trade for you know between here and here and and we can do a little bit of that with office buildings and industrial buildings just by other um, comparable sales that have taken place but there are there tend to be a little more nuances in there depending on again maybe there's very little risk because there are all long-term leases in the building or you know maybe there's a lot of risk because the entire uh, rent roll may expire in the next 12 or 18 months. So we need to put all that together and it's really kind of that combination of risk and deal profile and where the market is at any given time. There's also a component of debt because most of the investors will utilize some amount of debt um, when they when they own the real estate. And so all of those components kind of come together as we put our valuation together. So I, I heard a lot about, about risk and you, you've mentioned the market a little bit at the end there too. So how strong of a role does the market play in your operation, um, especially when kind of calculating that into your valuation model? Yeah. So when I talk about the market, I'm talking about the, the equity investment market versus the, the stock market. Now, while it's true that, um, Real estate investment trusts or REITs will um, will buy assets from us. <clears throat> the market that we're looking at is where will this particular asset attract capital? And so there are times some of our investors might be, <clears throat> it could be an insurance company that allocates 
you know, a lot of institutional investors may allocate anywhere from seven to 10, maybe a little more than that percent of their overall portfolio in direct real estate investments. <clears throat> so to us, that's, that's the market. The market is, you know, where can we attract capital um, versus the stock market? And oftentimes our business <clears throat> doesn't have a real clear direct correlation to what's happening in the stock market. In fact, that's oftentimes why investors want to have money in commercial real estate in hard assets uh, because it is in some ways more predictable you know, than what they, they may get in the, in the stock market. So for us, we're really reading um, where we're seeing deals trade, where we're hearing investors say they need uh, an overall return. And it is, it's competition for those same dollars. So if they have alternative investments that are more attractive uh, or as we've talked about, you know, lower risk, but a similar return, then we know that you know, if, if this asset's viewed as having a little more risk, it's also going to need to generate more return in order to attract investors to it. So as far as, you know, recessions and, and crisis, um, I, I'm thinking back to the, the 2008 housing bubble and the housing crisis. What did that look like in the commercial real estate industry? And, you know, how did that affect affect the industry as a whole and you and your role. And then along with that, have you seen any um, direct similarities between that crisis and the crisis we went through in March um, from coronavirus? No, that, that's a good question. 2008, nine and 10 um, was uh, a great learning experience, but I would not want to go through it again. And, um, yeah, it's very different. What we're seeing today is is very different from that period of time, which is which is good. So that that was um, in my thirty year career, that was without question the worst period of time from a transaction standpoint, because the market across the board really just just froze and and seized up. In fact, um, I, I do remember uh, talking to. Um, an investor worked with a, an institutional group that you know today places probably three billion dollars a year in commercial real estate, and uh, so very active owner investor. And he said at that period of time, it was probably two thousand nine. He said, "Well, my my goal, if I make an offer, is to be the fourth highest bid." I'm like, fourth? I, I need a first highest bid." And he's like, "Well." If three other people drop out, then I can go to my investment committee and tell them it's got to be a good deal. Three other groups, it, it you know dropped out and it's come back to me. And that was sort of the mindset where a lot of investors were were just incredibly nervous about when the market would come back, when tenants would come back, um, what those rental rates might look like when they did. And so for the most part, they weren't. Uh, it was easier to not do anything than to make an aggressive play. Now, in hindsight, 2011, 2012, 13, a lot of those same groups look back and said, boy, if if we would have thought it through, we should have done as many deals as we could have in 2009. But, you know, hindsight always makes those calls much easier. 
So if I contrast that to what we see today, so today, you know, yes, it's this wide reaching impact of the um, pandemic. However, the market was in great shape going into it and the market continues to be in pretty good shape. So, so again, for us, the market is both uh, available uh, equity to invest in real estate, but it's also fueled in large part by, um, by the debt market. And so if lenders are willing to lend, then oftentimes that's, uh, that's the, the fuel for a lot of these transactions. So uh, going into March, um, 2019 was a great year. 2020 was uh, looking to be even better. Um, debt was inexpensive and it was plentiful. And a lot of investors really wanted to, a lot of lenders wanted to get, um, had increased their allocation um, for lending for 2020. So going into the year, had we not had COVID, um, you know, the, the market was really humming along. Now, encouraging, so we sit here, you know, at the beginning of October and, you know, as, as there was a, a significant pause in the market in March and in April, but we started to see things loosen up later in April, again, through May, through the summer. And so little by little, the lending market has come back in. We've gotten our footing in terms of, you know, they, they now have a better sense of how to price today's risk and, and what that should look like in terms of what they charge for their debt. And so subsequently, the equity investors have a feel for it as well. Some transactions are getting done. And, and so the, the market is much more liquid today than it was in 2008, nine and 10. And you know, we're, we're encouraged by what we're seeing. And I think we're gonna continue to see that in the next year. So would your outlook be that the market will be able to sustain this recovery? Yeah, and you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm I'm part of a global firm in Cushman and Wakefield, and so we've got some tremendous resources on the research side. So we get um, not just U.S. information, but also um, a view of what's happening around the world. And so generally, yeah, we are seeing some really encouraging signs in terms of. Um, um, unemployment. Um, is is encouraging, and you know we've we're also still guessing a little bit as to exactly how companies are going to use office space right now as they as people start to come back to work over the next six months. But I, I can tell you, for example, the industrial market um, through this process has um, I'd say pricing is better today for high quality industrial assets than it was in January or February. So there's actually a, a post COVID premium, if you will, for pricing. And often we've done, our firms has done 70% um, of the Amazon transactions in the US. You know, Amazon has been a big winner through this whole pandemic because it's obviously demonstrated the strength of e-commerce. E it has grown you know, the adoption of e-commerce for many consumers, you know, maybe more quickly than they would have otherwise. So it isn't, it, there's some, definitely some positive 
things that have come out of, you know, what has obviously been a, a really difficult time for everybody. But from a commercial real estate standpoint, there have certainly been, you know, some winners and some losers through the, you know, even through the last six months. That's so true. And that, that really leads right into my next question. You know, we've seen obviously a lot of different in industries and companies explode um, like, like what we're on right now using zoom and Microsoft uh, specifically comes to mind. And so, you know, through COVID we've seen a really strong transition to at home and virtual work. And this kind of, it makes me wonder, you know, obviously there's less office use right now. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, what do you think the implications that are happening right now will have on commercial real estate industry in the long run? I mean, do you think that, do you think that we'll continue to be using um, these at home softwares? And, and if so, you know, does that, does that have a strong impact on the commercial real, real estate industry? Yeah, it, it, it does. And it's a question that um, we still wrestle with that a lot of our clients wrestle with um, trying to understand just, you know, how are people going to use office space as we go forward? Um, there have been a lot of great aspects for a number of people um, for work from home. Um, and our company's done a lot of research on, you know, just what those impacts may be. So there are a few things that, uh, that our research has has told us. One, pre-COVID, the workforce from home was roughly 5% of the total workforce. And our, our researchers believe that that work from home, you know, 100% dedicated work from home is probably going to double. But keep in mind that that means, you know, that's 10% of the workforce. Now, at the same time, a lot of people have really enjoyed some of the flexibility of work from home. But I think a lot of companies have also seen that it isn't their most productive either. So we believe we're going to see some level of flexibility kind of built into most work schedules. So it may be, you know, it may not be that everybody's going to one location five days a week, you know, at the same time every day, as we saw. But, uh, but we do believe that we're going to get something get back to something that looks resembles much more closely what it was previously which would be you know for the majority of the time we're still going to have most of our people back in the office because i think a lot of companies have recognized and again this has more to do on the office side than industrial but i think most companies have realized they they are losing over a long period of time they're starting to lose some productivity I think um, for your listeners, you know, as you're finishing college and, and thinking about joining the workforce, you know, I think it's, it's difficult for um, newer employees to be able to understand a company's culture or to, you know, potentially really demonstrate um, all of the value that you can bring to an organization when you can't have that time face to face. Um, there's just some invaluable uh, learning, understanding that comes somewhat through osmosis when you're in the environment and those happenstance meetings with maybe it's some of the senior people in your firm or at the company or in that office, you know, where you have an opportunity to, um, to talk to them in a break room or whatever it might be, 
you know, you lose that. And I think companies are recognizing that. So, so I do think um, we'll go back to something more similar to what we had, but it isn't going to be the same. I think the other um, trend that we were seeing was a major densification within workspace. Um, we'll call it hoteling or benching, uh, but the amount of square footage per employee continued to get smaller and smaller uh, as we were in 2018 and 19. We do believe that that trend is going to start to change as well. So the net net of all of that, we we think you'll you'll have a little more distancing within the space. Um, we will have more people working from home um, and some more flexibility. So you won't have the same headcount in the office at any given time that you may have two years ago. But the net net of all of that is we think the, the demand for space will be about the same. Fewer people, but, um, in the office at any one time, but each having a little more square footage per person sort of results in you know roughly the same use, but uh, maybe a slightly different configuration. That's fascinating and, and definitely reassuring to hear because personally, I cannot wait to get back in person again. So, so yeah, we think it's, it's important. I mean, I really, um, I, I think the, the culture piece of it, and again, you know, it's one thing if if you've been established in an industry, but um, but it's difficult if you can't have face to face. And we're all you know built, I think, to have you know some of that interaction. And I do think it's for for younger workers, it's to their advantage uh, to be able to have that time and and demonstrate the value that they can bring. That's very true. And so you know, kind of tying into those younger workers. For, for those that are, you know, looking to, to get into entry-level commercial real estate, um, what, do you, what do you suggest that they know? What are some things that you look for when you're hiring students coming out of college? Well, I, I will say this. I, I think um, keep an open mind. I, I know when I was talking to people when I first started in commercial real estate, they um, some people would tend to pigeonhole, oh, you, you're this type of person or this type of personality. You should, that means you'd probably be great in retail or you'd be great in, you know, the industrial part of the market or office or, you know, don't listen to that. Commercial real estate is a really broad industry. It's um, equivalent to if, if I, I'm interested in finance. Well, you could have, you might get a great opportunity with someone and say, tell me about finance. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a huge part of the, the business world with all sorts of different aspects to it. So I think to the extent you can do a little bit of homework at the front end and be slightly more specific as you have those informational interviews that might be more fruitful. Um, but as I said, uh, you know, folks in the industry, all remember what it's like to start out and try to understand, um, you know, try to make their way through and, uh, and try to figure out where to start and how to get started. And, and so you'll find um, if you reach out and are persistent that uh, a lot of people will open their door and be more than happy to speak. That's wonderful. And so my last question for you, 
if you could go back to when you were in college, what advice would you give yourself or what advice do you wish that someone gave you? Wow. So I, I love the industry that I'm in. I, I really, um, I get to work with a lot of extroverts. I get to work with a lot of creative people. I get to see um, all different aspects um, of of the business world. I get to understand uh, and get a deep dive into a number of companies because I need to understand what they do when I'm talking about you know why it makes sense to invest in them. So I, I love this industry and and um, so although I kind of stumbled upon it, um, I feel really fortunate and blessed to be in it. I think um, regardless of the industry that you go in, I, I think a couple things come to mind. One, um, be proactive and, and be self-confident. Not cocky, but self-confident. And just understand that people do like to talk. People will be open. So, um, so take that risk, make that call. If there's, if there's an industry or a person and you say, oh, I would love to meet that person, go ahead and, and take the risk. And, you know, the worst thing that can happen is they say no, but uh, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised at how often people would be willing to speak and, and try to help someone out. Um, I think the same goes true if I think back on, on my business career. I, I wish I would have early on would have focused a little more on business development. And what I mean by that is I'm in sales. So, you know, oftentimes I think people look at, um, look at the work world and uh, may have heard get your college degree, which I think is, is key. I, I mean, I, I really do think without it, um, there are a lot of doors that are going to be closed. But oftentimes, I think people would also attribute a, attribute a, a salary, um, a salaried position with security. And I remember starting in the industry, uh, hearing a couple guys who were more seasoned than I was. And, um, you know, I knew they were at 100% commission. And I was on a small salary. Maybe, maybe I could qualify qualify for a bonus but I remember asking them like really a hundred percent commission they're like I've gotten to a certain point in my career where I know I can generate uh, at least a minimal amount of business at whatever level that might be and the reality is if if I look back and I think about you, you know you, you look at these big companies that all of a sudden there's major layoffs and thousands of people lose their jobs or People have risen to certain levels of management, but then they become too expensive. You know, there is, I, I do see now from my perspective, now 30 years into the business, this idea of if you can produce, if you can generate revenue, you are creating value and you're also creating security. So, you know, so understand that, you know, that could be, in the software business, I mean, you've seen a lot of tech companies where all of a sudden a great idea is brought to fruition and, and they take off. But that's also in, you know, various sales positions or, or other ways that you make yourself valuable. So that's not to say that, 
you know, I would eschew any salaried position. I'm, I'm not saying that, but, uh, but just recognize that security is going to come from the value that you bring. And so, uh, again, in, in my world, in the sales world, you know, if I can generate commission revenue uh, because of my expertise, uh, because of relationships that I've fostered, because of my understanding of the market, there's, there's security in that, even if I only get paid when a transaction closes. That's wonderful. I love doing these interviews because I feel like I just, I get to take out so much more than, than I ask for. So I really appreciate all of the time that you've given me and all of the insight that you've given as well. I, I definitely have learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners will as well. So thank you very much, Tom. Well, Tony, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, the audience may not know, but you're going to marry my daughter next year. Yep. So I hope you take it to heart. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to help set up some of these interviews for you. But, uh, no, I just, um, I, I think, you know, I think it's great that, uh, that your group is um, proactively having these conversations with folks across, you know, a variety of different industries. And, again, I would just encourage people to, um, feel free to reach out to me or others if there are certain areas of the industry that, um, you know, there are a number of great uh, Bethel alums in the commercial real estate industry too, or in whatever industry where, um, you know, that, that you have an interest in, you know, that's one of the values of going to Bethel, being in the Twin Cities. There is a great network of people that would love to help you out and, um, you know, definitely make that connection because they know uh, the type of people that come out of Bethel. And I have, we've got some clients who, um, you know, there's a Bethel alumni brand. And, you know, I think as people listen to this, know that that, that brand is high character, high value, hardworking. So, um, use that to your advantage. Let people know that you went to Bethel. If they went to Bethel, there'll be a connection there. And um, whatever you do, don't mess up that brand. <laughs> Will do. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Now you got to hear a little bit about the commercial real estate industry through Tom's experience. If you want to learn more about the Royals Investment Fund, go to our website at www.bethelroyalsfund.com or you can go to our Instagram or LinkedIn page at Royals Investment Fund. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm your host, Tony Harris. We'll see you next time.